Welcome to Radical Remembering with psychologist Dr. Narissa and Dr. Buki. This is a weekly conversation where we explore the ways we've internalized oppression and consider what it really means to be liberated. Each episode will leave you with intimate knowledge of the liberation process, sprinkle a little healing magic, and leave you with wisdom for your journey. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Radical Remembering. Today, we have a special guest speaker with us, Cynthia Santiago Bodvon, who is literally one of my favorite human beings in this whole wide world. And real quick, I want to tell y'all the story about how I met Sin, um, and then I'm going to let Cynthia introduce herself. So I went to a workshop that was being, I can't, it was about racial trauma by Christiana Olson. And Dr. Kenneth Hardy was also in the room. A bunch of folks were in the room. And um, so you walk in the room, you meet folks. Of course, you're like, Cynthia is like, for folks who are listening to us, Cynthia is like breathtaking. So you're like, you just see her, you're just like, all right, who's this beautiful human being? And like, you, just, you just feel her spirit like right away. Anyway, we're in this conversation and I can't even remember what the like, what had been activated, but there was like one white woman, only one white woman in the entire space and was all, all of us different books of, books of color. And I can't remember what this woman said but I have never experienced live in person a group of folks who don't know me from Jack, like get my back so hard, right? And uh, do you remember what? Like, do you remember what? Like, I think she did. She ask a she dismissed. I think she did something. She dismissed me in some way. Yes. Right. Yes. I, I, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she was. It was yeah, like, I think I asked the question, and she like dismissed my question, and like was like move like moving on us did something like that from like Cynthia can't like it was just it was a like it was a like I cannot tell you about that experience but it was one of those moments where you're just like I'm like this black gender queer person who like literally I walk into spaces and I'm like you know I'm like you know myself but like I don't trust that people will have my back like I'm walking and I'm like I got me and that's all I'm always assuming right and so it was just like such a nice, what's the word? There's a piece that feels like it was like a healing experience for me, right? To restorative. Like, restorative experience. To like walk into a room where people didn't have to know me. They didn't have to know anything about me, but to be like, we see what you just did, this white woman, and that's not going to fly here. And called her in around it like beautifully. So, so that was the first piece that I, I was like, and Cynthia was like, Cynthia was like, <laughs> the way Cynthia went in, I was like, you would have thought like I was one of Cynthia's like sisters for like 25 years, the way she had my back. So that's my story of how I remember meeting you, Sid. Uh, I don't know what you would add, if anything, to that. Yeah, I mean, I think I just, when I met you, I just saw this big bright light and I was just so intrigued by who you are. And, you know, during that, brief time together, like felt a really deep, quick connection to you. And, you know, we, I, thankfully we kind of moved on it, right? Like sometimes you meet people and you really connect and then you don't do anything with it. And for whatever reasons, I always talk about it being divinely inspired, right? Ancestrally inspired, really, that we, you know, we stayed connected and continue to grow and evolve our relationship. And I think you know, the important piece here is that in that moment where you were dismissed, what I always talk about in being in connection to each other and the salvation of our humanity really is about having us all be seen. And when you got dismissed that way, 
it was really important to me to stand with you and not allow it. And I think that's how we show that we're, you know, we're really about each other. And, you know, I like to say we lovingly called her in, right? Because it wasn't that everybody attacked her. In fact, it was nothing like that. Um, I think it was delivered with a lot of love, but it was important to help her see and recognize what she had just done to you. Um, And it was an injury that many of us experience as people of color, as BIPOC, as women, as, you know, not part of the sort of status quo of heteronormative kind of existence that in fact, what we all have the right to be seen and heard and to be acknowledged and, and to not continue to cause injury to each other. And how do we not cause injury to each other except to help each other see where, when we are causing it? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Sin. Um, you know, part of you know, our topic today is this piece around ancestral work and the liberation process. And what I, you know, when, when Narissa and I were first sort of just imagining the possibilities of being in this conversation um, around liberation and, you know, I call it the gemification, I, we were talking about wanting to be able to show people different stories. And, you know, the piece that I've just always been impressed with, Sin, is just the way that you, the way that you really connect with like your ancestral origins and you bring that into work and you have been doing that way before, like, you know, before I even had consciousness around that, you know? So part of my, my hope today is, you know, I think when we were talking about when Marissa and I were just kind of like, it would be beautiful to be able to have you come and bring perspective around that just to give people a map of what that looks like. And, and so I'm really, really glad you're here with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. It's so good to be here. Nerissa, you want to kick us off? Sure, sure, sure. So I would love to hear, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think of to fine tune a, press, a question for you, right? But well, I'll, I'll start broadly so you can, you can pick up Sorry. whatever you'd like. Nerissa, also, I just, I just remember Cynthia didn't actually get a chance to introduce herself yet. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I thought, so I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> Yeah, so I am a a licensed psychotherapist. I'm a coach and a healer. I really own myself as a healer because I believe that our our liberation in the world is tied to our healing. I don't know how any of us can be liberated until we are working on healing, right? And I've had that, that component in my work for a very, very long time. And so I work with my clients. I work really a very diverse population at this point um, in terms of like race, gender, color, (laughs) um, sexual orientation. Um, And I think one of the beautiful reasons that's happened is because I have always, I think since I come to this planet, come around the consciousness of social justice and really have steeped my work in that. So long before everybody was doing diversity, equity, inclusion, which I'm really happy to see, but long, long, long before we're talking 20, 25 years back, that I was very much about empowerment and about dismantling false narrative we've been given about who we are as people and uh, why we're here and what we came to do. And so that meant that, you know, I, I started out in working in like social work, typical kind of social work spaces, you know, worked in agencies, worked in, uh, worked in a homeless shelter, worked with an, uh, a battered women and children's program. So I did a lot of that kind of work for many years and eventually ended up really feeling frustrated 
by the systems themselves, which were supposed to be improving lives, but were actually, in my opinion, just creating more of the same lack of liberation, really, right? Causing people to really, I think, were even more injury. You know, you go to a therapist, right? You go to a therapist because a therapist is supposed to help you. And what I was seeing is that particularly white therapists were often creating more injury by imposing their value system, their construct onto what our lives should look like. And so I've always been deeply steeped in like dismantling systems and dismantling oppressive systems in particular. And so that my work's been that way all along. And then a few years ago, I decided to really liberate myself <laughs> from, from the corporate enterprise of America, because even nonprofit is still part of the same engine. And uh, I went off on my own and started my own business, which is called Dream Makers, but really focuses on, again, the healing work of liberating our minds, our bodies, and our spirits from this current construct and paradigm. Thanks so much. I love hearing that. I have two questions that come to mind. So the first one is when you say healing, what is that? Like, let's make it concrete for the listeners. So for me, healing is when we are in a process of the past and limitations that we exist under, no longer directing our actions, behaviors, and thoughts about ourselves, right? So we are free, consciously choosing how we want to operate and move in the world. So what does that mean? That What does that look like? That can look like going to regular therapy, but it can also look like how do we free ourselves from trauma, past traumas, right? How do we heal from past experiences of family trauma, racial trauma, intergenerational trauma, societal trauma, right? So from that perspective of really looking at what is keeping me from living my best fullest life. And what is it that I believe about myself that's keeping me from doing that? And then where did I learn to believe my believe these things about myself? Because one of the things I so I love the name of what you're you calling your podcast, right? Radical Remember. And one of the things that I believe in my heart and in my spirit is that we don't come to this planet from the perspective of I am less than. And that part of the healing process is actually remembering that none of us are less than, no matter what we've been taught, because we've been all socialized and indoctrinated, especially BIPOC, to believe that we are less than in some way because of white supremacy ideology, right? Because of colonization. And I talk about this all the time. This happened across the globe not just in America, like a lot of people like to talk about, oh, it's the United States. No, it's the entire planet. Go anywhere in the world and you will see plenty of the signs and remnants of the legacy of colonization and white supremacy, right? So when we look at healing, we have to really heal from indoctrination and socialization into a belief system that has taught us to think that we're not enough. We're not smart enough. We can't write well enough. We, we don't look good enough. We don't fit this model. The way we think about things is wrong. And so it's really about removing those self to us. And that's the way I think about healing. 
So it sounds like a, a liberated person is someone who is able to judge themselves separate and apart from the ways in which we're socialized to think about ourselves is not, you know, like stymied, like we're not having trauma responses based on other, like we're very present and very mindful in our daily living and not held back by, you know, our personal traumas as well as societal traumas. Yeah. And we're not letting our lives be determined by that anymore. Right. So it's not that it doesn't exist. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, just you know, it's not there anymore. No, that's ridiculous. The systems all around us. We see evidence of it every day. I mean, look at what just happened with Roe versus Wade, right? Like we're living in it every day. But what it really looks like is that doesn't determine how I feel about myself. It doesn't determine what I think I'm capable of. And it doesn't determine limitations around what I think I can create in this world and do. And so that's really what I, that's really for me when, and I don't think we're ever fully healed. I'm not one of those people like you're healed, right? No, I really believe we're always in the process of healing. And sometimes things will show up that we think we healed and suddenly they come roaring back at us, right? Like, you know, like, let's talk about racial trauma, right? I have tons of it. And there are times when I can see it like showing up again. Now, in this point in my life, I don't for one minute believe that there's anything I'm incapable of doing, right? I'm like, I, oh, I like that. I want that. Okay. Oh, I could, oh, I want to do this or I want, right? But doesn't mean that I don't walk into spaces where there are white people, all white people. And I'm like, oh God, <laughs> right? Because you got to kind of arm myself, right? For what might come at me, right? That's still a sign that I am healing from racial trauma right? Because I had such negative experiences, such deeply harmful experiences in white spaces that when I walk into white spaces, the difference between my more healed self is that I know I have every right to be there. And I am not going to diminish myself in any way to be in this space. You're in this space. I have every right to be in this space too. That's my more healed self, right? doesn't mean the parts that of me that are still kind of raw based on those experiences doesn't go, oh, okay, let me (laughs) kind of arm up here in case something comes at me, right? So that's, I think that's the difference, right? And that those past, past times where I might have literally shrunk before I was more healed, like try to be almost invisible, try not to make too much noise, try not to bring too much attention to myself, right? That instead of that, I'm very present, very much authentically within myself, right? Wear my hair the way I want, wear the jewelry I want, wear the clothes I want. Like I am not determining my existence based on that, on the past experiences where, where I was deeply harmed. Thank you. So you said that you, you've always been like this, right? And you'd also name pivotal, well, you name one pivotal point. Like you said, a few years ago, you liberated yourself from the corporate machine, right? Are there other pivotal times in your liberation journey that you feel mm-hmm. comfortable sharing? Yeah, I think Buki alluded to one a little bit earlier. For me, I think the greatest liberation came through my spirituality and my connection to my ancestors. And that was, that was a game changer for me. Right. This the society in general, especially, you know, way back when I think we talk a lot more about ancestors now than we've ever did. 
But at least in this country, that's not something that we were really brought up doing. And so that's such a key piece, I think, to, to our healing, especially as BIPOC, because the story we're given about our ancestors is that they contributed nothing to the world, right? That we have nothing, they had nothing to offer, right? With stories, the stories are savages and slaves. That's the stories, right? And so when I started learning the truth of who we are and what I came from, that was, that was, that was key to my healing process. In fact, I would say that it was the most important part of my healing process because it allowed me to see myself differently. If I actually came from this and not what I was told I came from, then what does that make? That makes me something very different, right? That makes me some, my identity a very different story and conversation within myself. And for me, the key places that I made that connection for, um, with was my, my indigenous ancestors, meaning my Native American ancestors and my African from many countries, not just one, but from my West African um, ancestors and learning those components of how they viewed the world, their worldview, and how they connected to the planet and how they treated each other, and what they actually were before the colonizers came was, was critical in that healing process. And can you tell the story, like when you, can you tell the story of how you actually then discovered, like you even came into contact with like discovering those stories? Well, it was really through the, my spiritual practice, because, and that's a long, long story, we will have to do another podcast about how that happened, because that's, Uh, that's an incredible story. (laughs) But I was on a deep spiritual quest. I was deeply unhappy. I was like in my mid 20s. And I was deeply unhappy. I was suffering from depression. I was actually in social work school and getting my master's. And part of what was driving me to get my master's was, again, I was mostly in white spaces doing social work. And I had all these white women telling me that the way I work was not appropriate to sort of their, their model, except that my clients at little 25 year old, all my clients were getting major healing results (laughs) because I was just operating from pure, like knowing the community versus coming with this outside view and imposing it. And I was also deeply connected to the community. So You know, it was like just having a conversation like we're having now and really just empowering women to really look at like, how do I get myself out of this abusive situation? And so I was, I decided to go back to social work school because I was tired of them telling me I didn't have a master's. And so I went back to school and it was during that process that I was really kind of struggling around not my identity about who I was, but like what I was seeing in the world. And particularly at that time, social work school, you got like, one class in cultural competency that was like total BS. <laughs> and um, that was, was more than me know. when I was going to school. <laughs> All of us, right? They're doing better now, but man, was it bad back then, right? And so I was always fighting basically with all my professors, fighting with my classmates, just, you know, and fighting in the sense of like standing up for what is our truth. It was what we were being taught was not true, right? And so anyway, I started really 
look, I, I went on this kind of internal spiritual journey and I, I believe in God. And so I started praying to God and I was like, God, I need a, I need a spiritual teacher. I need to know, I need, you know, I need to understand myself better. I need to understand what's happening in this world, all of that. And eventually what was the culmination of that was that I met a, a priest of Shango, which is in the Yoruba Lukumi tradition, which comes out of Nigeria and uh, at West Africa. And I, I started studying with, with him and part of, you know, again, like many ancient traditions is that there's an ancestral reverence component. We are not worshiping ancestors. We are remembering our ancestors and their legacy and who we come from. And that sent me on a journey of like starting things I had never done, talking to my, my mother about her ancestors. Taught at the time, bless, bless for me, all four of my grandparents were alive. So I was able to talk to them and get all of their parents. So I was able to go back like about three generations as a result. And I started learning more about who my people were and where they came from. And then eventually I, I personally chose, I know some people are not comfortable with this, but I actually wanted confirmation of what I think I already knew, but I actually did a DNA test and exactly what I thought they came back from all the lines, you know, I've got like about four lines that come straight out of West Africa, a very large percentage that is indigenous. And those are the things that I connected with, you know, and that's how I started healing. And I, you know, I'm a person that practices ancestral reverence. So I have an ancestral altar. I pray to my ancestors every morning, meaning I have conversation with them and I have a belief system that says they are still here, available to me, present energetically, right? That I can connect with them and that I can be guided by them in some way. I truly believe that, you know, and so that's, that's for me, the big, a big piece. Sin, you keep using this word ancestral reverence. What does that mean? That means that I honor my ancestors and I remember them. I distinguish that between what people call like idolizing, right? Because there's a lot of controversy of a lot of times around, oh, but you're not supposed to be praying to anybody but God. And, you know, it's just, it gets all kind of crazy. And I'm not part of that. I just, I really believe that energetically we all have an imprint, right? Buki has an imprint. Narissa has an imprint. We all have an imprint. and that imprint is our energy. And so what happens when the energy leaves the, leaves the body, right? That's when we die. But where does that energy go? <laughs> it doesn't disappear. It's still an energy. And so in this ancestral reverence, what we're doing is we're remembering those that came before us that are no longer physically present, but that have energetically are still available to us. And that we can access energetically their wisdom and their guidance and their understanding of life. And so that's what I mean by reverence. Like I honor them. I remember their names. I, you know, I call their names. I have been in situations, for instance, here's, here's where it shows up very concretely for me. I am, believe it or not, <laughs> Buki knows this story, but there is, I'll share with you. I'm not a natural speaker. I'm not. I know that no one believes that, but it's true. I have 
Here's a perfect example. I have deep trauma from being, uh, deep racial trauma for, for speaking. I had horrible, horrible experiences in college with white professors. The New York City kid from the Lower East Side, I have this little New York accent. And I used to get chopped apart and it was horrible. And so there was this point where I just felt completely incompetent to be able to speak in front of anybody. And that's something I had to heal. Well, one of the ways I healed, right, besides the side of typical things we do, like, oh, but, you know, encourage each other that, you know, of course you can speak well. That's, you know, well, I tapped into my ancestors. And I did a prayer one day and I said, listen, I know for a fact there's this inner knowing inside of me that some of you were orators before me, that you were healers and that you were teachers and that you were great speakers. So help me to find the strength to be able to speak in front of people because that's something I really felt called to do. It's not something that I even wanted to do. It's something that I feel called to do all the time. And just by doing that prayer, I can't tell you how many times that has helped me that whenever I have to go in front of a large group of people to talk, that can feel very scary and overwhelming to me even to this day, that I call on my ancestral fellowship (laughs) and say, hey, you got me, right? You got me because I know you got me because you all used to do this. This is what you all used to do. I know it is. I think. And so, and I will feel an energy come up around me, literally an energy come up around me. And I will feel like I'm on the stage with an entire crowd of people with me who've got my back. It literally will feel like, like I got hands holding me, like we got you. That is the connection with ancestors that I have at this point, that I don't feel like I do anything alone, that I don't walk alone in this world. And I can't tell you how tremendously healing that is, right? Because oftentimes what we need in our healing process is to know we're not alone. And so imagine knowing that you have a whole team of people with you instantaneously anytime you need it and believing that and knowing that, right? And that's one of the things that got taken away from us in colonization, because our, tra- our, our ancestors understood that relationship is eternal, that we have the ability to engage with each other, even when we pass on from our physical bodies. And yet, that is one of the ways we have been most disempowered, to think we walk in this world alone when we don't. I love it. I love it. I love also the way that you are challenging us because we've been so colonized to think, well, we idol worship, ancestral worship, and all these terms to make us turn away from it after having been taught through a Christian lens. And it's really so much more than that. Ancestral reverence, veneration, ancestral consciousness, right? This awareness. I was reading an article a couple of months ago that really spoke about that having this extended relationship, we have the same impact as we do with our attachment figures. And so we should consider that an attachment relationship because there are so many psychological and social benefits from that. So I love everything that, that you had to say. And I, and I resonated with this because I've moved through my life feeling everything has been, what was past tense was struggle, right? I didn't have, especially being a a child of an immigrant, you know, immigrants and different things like that. 
I didn't have a lot of resources to move through this world, but also they didn't necessarily have the capacity to be able to support me in the ways in which I needed to support, be supported. And it, it's with my own ancestral consciousness as well that I'm like, wow, I'm not alone. Like, and it's every day, it's a it's like deep gratitude for, for mm-hmm. this army that, that's with me. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah. And you know, here's the other piece, right? That when we know we're not moving alone, we also in many ways can feel not just more empowered and supported, but more dedicated and committed to something, right? There, uh, there's something that I do all the time. When I get into my little pity parties and things that happen for me, and not that they're not justified because we all have to grieve, and particularly with everything that's going on in the world, There are moments when we need our quiet or we need to go within or we just need to be, you know, with ourselves or we don't want to do much or whatever. But then there are these other times where maybe I'm in that space where I'm looking like I'm kind of being a little self-centered about something. And it's not in a good way. It's not like me taking care of myself. I'm just getting stuck up in my head for some reason. Right. And I will think about my ancestors and the sacrifices that they made that I might be here today. And I'm like, oh, get over it and keep it moving. You know, like me. And I don't mean that in a like, just get over it mode. No, I mean it like when it's not that serious, but maybe I've made it more serious in my head. And I remember in those moments, I often feel like a, you know, it feels like a little tap on the shoulder, almost like, hey, you know, you got it good, right? Like what it helps me to do is remember the joy as well, because the way they, the way our ancestors move through things. Can you imagine? Like there are times I'm like, I can't even imagine like how they managed to find joy and love and family and commitment to each other under the circumstances that many of them survived through. Mm-hmm. If they could find that, then I'd be as sure as heck keep finding mine, right? And not in this negative, toxic, positivity way, but in that real deep, you said it, Narissa, like, that deep gratitude, like that wells up in your body and you can feel it. And you're like, thank you. Thank you for everything you did that I might be here liberated and free to pursue my dreams, to do my work and to honor you all, right? To honor you all, right? You see everywhere I'm walking around with those t-shirts on my ancestral's greatest dream, my ancestor's greatest dream. Yeah, that's it. Because they lived on so that we could be here and make more conscious choices about the lives we want to lead and then go after it. And that's why I'm also big about us going after our dreams, right? Because in fact, their sacrifices were made it possible for us to be here. And I never lose sight of that. So, you know, it's very, it's just so fulfilling to be able to look at life that way. And I just, I just wish it for everybody. And I don't think it has to be a conflict with, with Christianity at all. I think it can actually enhance somebody's belief system if they are open to, you know, looking into that aspect of their lives. I agree. And one last thought as we close up too, just to, to build on what you were saying about Christianity. Recently, I was looking at a couple months ago, actually. I opened because I felt led to I I don't identify as a Christian, although I have a history in Christianity, but I felt led to buy a Bible again. And because I felt like my ancestors were having me buy a Bible. And when I opened it in the New Testament, the the first it was like 15, 20 verses. They went back 15 generations calling the names of the ancestors. Exactly. We've been taught to think that they're, you know, 
that they're it's against you know Christianity, and when in reality, if if we we're probably practicing it the same way it was practiced in the time it was written, you know what I mean? Before colonization came in as a force to separate us and to disconnect us, which you know is trauma, nothing but trauma. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't know, Buki, did you have any closing words or? I have a lot. I feel like part of we have to have a second episode with a follow up episode with Cynthia. I know we didn't. We, I feel like we barely touched the surface, right? <laughs> Mad questions because you know I'm coming into this conversation of the two of you. You all both are have been in this journey around like connecting with ancestors for like a minute, and I'm just like newer to it. And Cynthia, one of the things I love when you talk, there's a way in which you talk about it that like literally like you know, when you were describing the story of like describing your story. It's like, I feel attracted to the, like when you describe energetically, I can literally feel hands on my back, right? And so I know that people like me, like listeners like me who are just like, wait, can we slow down the story for a second and like ask a bunch of questions around that? So Larissa, I'm wondering if like we, our next episode, we bring Cynthia back and we like double, double click into some of these things. And so people can start to, and I think really more around for folks who are interested in wanting to start to remember, right, their own ancestors, their own ancestral practices, how does one um, start to find their way to that? So I'd love to hear both of you because I feel like both of you have mad like wisdom around this to be able to share with our listeners around that. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I would love to. And, um, you know, I know the, the goal is, right, like your goal of your podcast in many ways is around liberation and degenification, which I love. And that 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 piece has been that ancestral practice piece has been so much a part of my journey and continues to be a part of it, right. And then there are times when people don't want to connect to ancestors, right? And how do you not do that? And (laughs) depending on what the circumstances are, and I even hear people, you know, BIPOC saying like, you know, there's some ancestors I don't want to, I don't even want to, I don't have no conversation with them. They did kind of crappy stuff. Right. And so like being able to distinguish between even that can be really important for people. So yeah, I would love to come back. I'd be happy to. Definitely. Thanks so much for being with us. Well, thank you both. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've loved what we had to say, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Dr. Narissa, and you can find me on IG at Dr. Narissa Williams. And I'm Dr. Buki. You can find me on IG at the official Dr. Buki. You can also stay abreast of our latest offerings at our website, radicalremembering.com. <laughs>